Hello and welcome to this week's BossCast and I'm joined by Jonathan Ivory who is Managing Director at Package Living. He's the boss of Package Living's single family housing business which has recently been established. It's been growing, uh, it's been going gangbusters, Jonathan Ivory, hasn't it? Tell us how the last year has treated you. Andrew, thanks for having me. The last year has been busy, or gangbusters to use your expression. So we formed the business. The David or- Reed expression, actually. David Reed from LNG, that's one of his favourite expressions, not mine. So borrow from David Reed, but, but it has been going gangbusters. I'm happy to mine from David. Um, <laughs> so yeah, no, we, when we set up the business a little over a year ago now, with backing from our corporate shareholder, Fiera Real Estate. But our big news is more recent than that. It's about a little over six months ago, we formed a partnership with Aviva Investors and we were excited to announce our relationship with them. And anyone kind of close to UK residential for rent will know that Aviva have flirted with the BTR sector or the multifamily sector for a number of years. They were talking about it 15, 16 years ago when I mean, my BPF days, I remember having lunch with with Neil Gardner, Andrew Appleyard, and this was, they were going to be the big behemoth coming into the market. So fantastic that you finally convinced them to do it. They were certainly first movers in having those discussions. Um, (laughs) And um, I'd like to think that their due diligence has been pretty thorough over the last 10 years. But yeah, no, we're super excited that they've decided to back us and specifically in pursuit of our new strategy single family rental as we call it and in terms of that relationship are they investing in the business is it what talk us through the structure of that relationship it's into the real estate so our partnership with them contemplates the acquisition execution but ultimately management and long-term ownership and operation of suburban housing throughout the uk and in terms of the current setup with Fiera and, and Package, what does that relationship look like? Because Fiera acquired Palmer Capital, didn't they, some years back now, and Ray Palmer, one of the certainly one of the legends and pioneers of the UK real estate market. Lovely chap. Is Ray still involved? What's the dynamic there? Yeah, no, Ray's still very much involved. So, you know, we see Ray a lot. We see all the Fiera team. We actually cohabit. We live in the same office as them, so we see them all the time. It's really no change. So, that which was Palmer Capital is now Fiera Real Estate UK. It's the same management team, same business, a lot of the same strategies. It's a drinks trolley still, though. That's the key question. I haven't seen it going around recently, but that could be a, <laughs> could be a COVID or post-pandemic influence. If it comes around, I'll let you know. But uh, yeah, no, so it's they're a shareholder of ours, but it's ostensibly a management-owned business. Yeah. My partners, Ed Elrington and Mark Woodrow, formerly of Granger fame, who are you know hugely supportive of the strategy that I've been brought into. So yeah, previous bosses of investment and development at Granger. So two absolutely spellbinding brains there. Yeah, I wouldn't use spellbinding, but um, I'm sure they'd appreciate that yeah, reference. They're pretty, pretty good guys. But yeah, no, you're right. They ran investments and development respectively. So they bring kind of huge number of experience in both those spheres, not least just the sheer volume of deals that yeah, they were able I mean, to and execute. And it seems just from watching the package living brand emerge over the last couple of years it it seems like ed and mark have been unleashed a little bit almost like they kind of built up all of these things they wanted to do and and this new business has has really unleashed a tremendous amount of momentum in the last few years i think that's a really good way to put it like in uh to use the kind of the west wing expression you know let ed be ed or let mark be mark so yeah those are two really talented hard-working individuals that have kind of really been able to unlock their potential with backing from mm. you know and, you, and, you, what and, was you, met, um, and you, you met ed some years back didn't you so you nearly worked together a, a while ago 
We had a very kind of initial or high level flirty conversations around when Ed was setting up package living and obviously I was running um, Atlas Residential UK at the time. So obviously we didn't do anything then, but we've remained in touch. And when COVID came around and everyone was sitting at home in their studies, figuring out what they wanted to do with their lives, I kind of reached back out to Ed and we started talking about single family rental and this kind of oh, new that's good. Everybody else new was strategy. on Majestic Winehouse's warehouse website ordering cases of Pinot and, and you were thinking about single family housing. I'm, I'm, I don't know they're mutually exclusive, Andrew. You can, you can, you can, you can do both. You can drink and set up a business. <laughs> Excellent. I mean, let's dial back a little bit um, because you and I met, when did we meet, Jonathan? Seven, eight years ago? It must be at least that, yeah. And I've aged dramatically. You haven't aged today in that time. Um, you're looking just as as felt as you were and I think yeah I would have still been probably working with IPD at that point actually and in those years obviously the market shifted incredibly you were one of the first ambassadors for what's become known as build to rent you were the first chair of of the UK apartments association and you were running the UK arm of the the American investor and manager how did you end up at Atlas how did you end up in that spotlight so at the time, I was working for a US brokerage, um, sort of traveling between a head office in New York and London and trying to kind of drum up new business for that company, I introducing European capital into the States and then kind of US deals to European capital. And that business did a number of things. It did debt equity, sort of, you know, it, it placed debt and equity throughout the capital stack for sponsors, all real estate sponsors, I should add. Did some non-performing loan sales, but a lot of the clients were what was called then and is now multifamily. So they had huge numbers of apartments in the States under management or in construction that were all for rent. And I became interested in that business model couldn't really understand why we didn't have an equivalent in the UK. But at that time, it was really just coming off as sort of an intellectual curiosity. Mm. And one of the clients that they had, we raised some capital for. And it turned out, as I got to know that client a little better, that they'd attempted to bring their business model or export that to the UK before pre-recession. So kind of pre-07, 08, unsuccessful as it turned out, because, you know, the music stopped and uh, and the world changed and the kind of the great financial crisis arrived. But the aspirations for that business to get into the market and deliver what they saw as a a new and improved business model vis-a-vis, you know, residential homes for rent remained. And so one thing led to another. We kind of talked about what that would look like if they were to have another crack at that. And I think the advantage I had was obviously I'd got some understanding of that business model, that US American owner operator model. But I think probably what was in my favor was just I was able to kind of put a British accent on what was ostensibly a kind of a very American and when I say American you know Texas based or Dallas based business and I think one of the reasons they'd struggled to communicate their business model was just you know the kind of the translation or should I say lost in translation of Americans coming over here and telling Brits you know they know how to do it better yeah, yeah. so I was able to nuance that a little bit for the UK market which I was clearly a bit more familiar with than they were but um it it wasn't it was hard yards it was you know that was 2012 i think when i started doing that and we we didn't close our first deal until 2000 end of 13 maybe beginning of 14 so yeah we we had to kiss a lot of frogs on the in, in terms of the capital we raised a lot of people said it would never work an englishman's home is his castle you know people 
Brits buy, they don't rent. All the kind of the usual objections that we've all kind of heard and that are well rehearsed now were being kind of recited back to us at the time. But we kept pushing and eventually we managed to do a deal. It wasn't called Build to Rent back then. I mean, it was, you know, still called PRS, which sounds like something you need a cream for. So we've come a long way. You know, where are we now? We're however many 170 odd thousand units in various stages of construction, procurement, yeah. delivery. Still only a couple of percent of the market, though, I guess critics would say. We're not touching the sides, which is why it's such an exciting time to be doing what we're doing. We're, you know, we're in a growth industry. So in terms of the single family piece that you're managing, where does that sit alongside the more traditional clusters of apartments that, that people will know from some of the package living schemes and other other projects like the sorts of stuff that you were doing previously in places like Southampton and Birmingham? I think sitting alongside is the, you know, the, the operative words. It's complementary too. So there's there continues to be demand for well-located, well-priced, appropriately specified, well-run residential for rent in city centres or multifamily as we call it. And I don't think that's going to change. As you said, you know, 2% of the UK housing stock is a drop in the ocean. So there continues to be demand for that product in the right locations and at the right price points. What we became kind of dialed into was that, you know, 60% of the country's renters rent in suburban houses. They, you know, they're not in city centre apartments. So there's a huge rental community in the private rented sector that is demographically skews more 35 plus as opposed to 25 plus a little bit more encumbered with children just because they've got older another 10 years older since it was harry downs banging on about renty somethings there's definitely a cohort of people who are now getting married having kids getting a dog and you know, leaving rental accommodation, and it very well might be build to rent or multifamily accommodation, mm. who've become uh, accustomed to being treated well, good customer service, so a degree of amenitization. The philosophy that people are just buggering off to the countryside or to the suburbs where they can afford to buy a house and buying a house. Some will, and many evidently are. You know, if 60% of the PRS are already renting, then at the very minimum, if all we do is do a consolidation play and improve the specification and the sustainability and the quality of those homes and wrap that in a professional management solution without the need to charge more then by definition there's a market for your product Mm. well i mean that's certainly one way of looking at it what logistically though how easy is it going to be to deploy finance deploy capital at scale in this space because i mean ultimately the minute what you as an income investor have to contend with is a booming volume house builder market where you know they're printing their own money and have been for years largely because of help to buy and and because of the way the market's been going but if you're looking to come in and and buy up stock why are they going to want to sell it to you john so i mean you've hit the nail on the head (laughs) this is not a business model that hasn't been attempted before. It's a hard nut to crack, but there's a few differences as to why things have changed now. You know, historically, people that had attempted to do those deals, and let's be clear, you know, being a house builder has been a good business to be in for the last decade plus. They were rescued post-GFC 
government considers them too big to fail. Mm. They're rescued again after Brexit, were helped by. And will continue to be so. So the government and the economy in the UK is invested in maintaining Mm. high house prices. So why invest in single family rental when you can just invest in stocks of volume house builders? Because... You made a lot more money over the last 10 years. (laughs) Nothing's forever, Andrew. So, (laughs) listen, it's, it's a hard nut to crack and people have tried, but most of those investors have been you know, what I call deep discount, ostensibly private equity investors looking to buy homes at discounts to open market value or vacant possession value, where they will attempt a leasing model, a rental model. But frankly, the underlying or the base case or certainly the upside is in selling those back into the open market and capture that bid-ask spread between what the open market sales value is and what they bought it for. What's changed? So two things, yields have come in significantly, i.e. the appreciation or understanding of the risk profile of the single family model has narrowed that yield spread to within touching distance of the open market value. And also the capital's got cheaper as well. So, you know, we've, we've formed a partnership with an investor who, you know, isn't necessarily seeking or motivated by deep discount value investing opportunities. This is a income and capital appreciation play, but a business plan that is played out over you know a number of years. We are not locked into a kind of a you know five-year closed-ended fund where we need to be in and out quickly and to kind of capture that discount uplift. This is about matching pension fund liabilities over the longer term. So with the emphasis more on income. And in terms of where that growth is now going to come, if, if yields already come in, where is the future upside that Aviva and other investors are going to be looking to get in this market? I don't know if the upside is the correct way to kind of view the business model. You know, we're looking to invest capital for the longer term in a risk-adjusted manner. You talked about multifamily earlier, and there's plenty of compelling reasons why multifamily is appealing to those liability-matching investors. But it's a sector that is, you know, not without risk, not least going vertical, procuring construction costs to make that the deal work. And there's, you know, M&E issues and complicated lift shafts, et cetera, et cetera. One of the reasons why this model is now appropriate for the single-family rental sector is that that same capital is able to access the same kind of compelling risk-adjusted returns, but arguably on a lower risk basis. So the single-family rental sector enjoys longer leases. That's because of the demographic or the underlying demographic of those residents but typically stay longer. But where's the evidence longer. base for that? As to why residents well, yeah, stay of, longer? Of, of these longer leases, I mean, it's a nascent market. So where does the evidence exist that demonstrates that? I disagree that it's a nascent market. People have been renting suburban housing for you know forever and a day certainly as long as they've been living in apartments yeah that's true but not necessarily in not on an institutional level right so you have to kind of packaged up and it's the same challenges as multifamily you know digging into data or getting your hands on data and interpreting it and often it's you know it's it's a boots on the ground job you're having to yeah but I'm, i'm just interested in because one of the challenges and you know this from from our conversations over the years and certainly through my work with people like Essential Living, Mode of Living and, and Granger and others that, that we've worked with, M&G and, and all sorts. The challenge that was always thrown back by the banks and all of the other people that I'd sit around tables was, show me the comps. There's no data. Where's the data? Where's your comparables? So 
Do you think then that you can make an adequate comparison with open market, just normal rentals versus the sorts of stuff that you're looking to do within a package? Uh, excuse the pun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we wouldn't be here today, frankly, and I think it's well, worth... No, yeah, I mean, clearly it, you wouldn't be here if someone hadn't thought, yeah, we can. <laughs> well, no, no, no. So what I was going to say is, you know, Sigma Capital have been a trailblazer in this sector and have deployed, you know, significant sums and aggregated a number of homes which are in operation. And you can see yeah. how those assets are performing. And the answer is they're performing very well. So I think they have proven a business model that everyone intuitively knew was there and then they've just proven that out so a lot of it is anecdotal though you're right but it doesn't feel like a huge leap of faith to assume that someone in who's 35 to 45 who's married with children who's kind of locked into the schooling in that location is going to stay longer than someone who is you know, 25 single young professional in a city centre location. No, absolutely. Right? So there's I, a- I quite agree. And, and again, that hunch, that entrepreneurial judgment is what made people like Ray Palmer lots of money in the first place, right? So Indeed. And it was no different in multifamily. You know, I remember, you know, back in 2012, traipsing around all the different banks and equity shops in London and indeed overseas, trying to explain to people why multifamily would work in the UK. And a lot of people said the same things. There's no evidence, there's no data. And, and I guess, you know, that is the, if you are an entrepreneur, and I like to think that, you know, I am and my business partners are, you know, there's an element of, you know, you have to prove the business model, right? And you've got to take people on a journey. Yes, we use data and analysis to support that, but sometimes you have to create markets. And where do you see the market going from here, Dad, in terms of policy, planning policy? We've had the levelling up damp squib earlier in the year, that sort of yeah, got a bit of a slow applause from everybody, didn't it, really? Hmm. The current government and, and even previous ones have never been hugely supportive of right. the rental market. I mean, even Labour under Blair and Brown, they had the Julie Rugg review that I recall and, and other things like that that kind of moved it forwards. I kind of... So it's a really good point. I think... You're fighting think, against the tide, aren't you? You are, but I think the build-to-rent sector is succeeding in spite of that. So successive administrations have been at best agnostic towards build to rent and at worst have actively tried to discourage it listen it's the perceived wisdom that people who rent are not good stakeholders they're not part of a community and if you're not a stakeholder in the local community you don't vote a certain way or with a certain stripe so Mm. As I say, successive administrations without kind of getting too political and naming who they are, but I think we can all guess, actively want to see increased home ownership. And you see that played out in the programs, whether it's help to buy and other schemes that you know make that possible. The flip side or the perversity of those programs is that they have acted to amplify house prices and increase house price inflation. So pushing home ownership further out of reach of the people it's supposedly intended to help. So the byproduct of that or the net receiver of that has been the build to rent sector who is simply, you know, sought to offer, as I said, well located, well run, well specified, well appointed homes at a affordable in adverted commas price point. And clearly, you know, the success, the the growth of the sector is evidence of that. But as I say, I think it's in spite of not because of government support. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. That's an interesting, uh, yeah, interesting way of looking at it. I'd never thought of it like that. So that the uh, poorly thought out government policies like helped by that have essentially whacked up house prices have been good 
for the uh, institutional investors coming into the rental end of things. Interesting. Ironic, huh? Well, yeah, absolutely. But not unbelievable when you have policy made by 20-something people that only live in London. And, you know, again, without getting too political, we, we live in these kind of five-year political cycles, whereas, you know, the housing crisis, if I can kind of, you know, use that terminology... That's generational, right? That's so, you know, the structural reform needs to take place that outlifts, you know, the five-year political cycle that we live in. The need to build, what is it, over 300,000 homes every year, that hasn't been delivered since the post-war years. So unless the government is going to get into the house building business it can't expect to meet those numbers by outsourcing house building to the private sector i don't think it's reasonable appropriate and and i don't think it works and evidently it isn't working no i mean the other interesting problem we have on the horizon is the climate and we had ed dixon aviva's head of esg who was in for propcast last year and we had a fantastic chat that you should if you've not heard it have a listen to the headline is aviva's esg chief talking about the green premium which you'll be able to find on propertyweek.com and, and uh, you'll be able to find it on spotify and apple and aviva i mean it's interesting for them because it's a business that eventually makes its money selling lots of insurance to homeowners so having a nice investment into the rental side is certainly hedging that really nicely right on the esg side i'm interested to see how what you're doing aligns with their pledges on esg what are they making you do jonathan ivory that you might not have had to do five years ago I don't know if anyone's making anyone do anything. I think there's a collective... Well, I think they are. I mean, I think, I think the regulators and certainly not a lot of legislation yet, but certainly regulation coming through. Sure, sure. The regulation is making house builders move in a certain direction. One of the reasons why we're so excited about this partnership with Aviva is because there's been a collective decision to get ahead of that game and to get ahead of the regulations. So, I mean, the, the big headline item for us, the decision that was made when we, you know, when we started this was we wanted to remove carbon as a solution for heating these homes out of the equation. So that means introduction of air source heat pumps, ground source heat pumps if appropriate. We're putting PV on the roofs. We're storing energy using batteries. We're introducing EV charging stations to every home. And we're generally being thoughtful about the design and the specification of these homes. Whether the regulation is coming or not, we're getting ahead of that. We're introducing it now putting our money where our mouth is and we're improving the efficiency and sustainability of these homes today even though legislation is coming down the track well how do you weigh that against the cost because clearly there's a cost that comes with heat pumps yeah. ev charging you know these aren't cheap things to put in particularly now because well pv's come down in price by oh well, I mean, it must be what less than five percent of what it was 10 15 years ago but the heat pumps are still pretty expensive pieces of kit it's um, it's you're not without it. With, with kit that isn't quite mature yet, pricing wise. How do you square that against the relatively low margins in this arena? The answer is with difficulty. It's a challenge, but again, collectively, the decision has been made, or the view is that whilst we're not necessarily compensated for that additional capex on the buy or on the way in, You'll we get it think on the way out. Yeah, we, you know, future proofing these assets the value of those or the liquidity premium that we'll enjoy versus other homes who say, you know, all have gas boilers and need a big retrofitting CapEx program in five, seven, 10 years time. We're going to get the benefit of that because okay. our portfolio will be so much more efficient and sustainable. So buy now or pay twice later. Yeah, there's an element of that, definitely. And yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And clearly, I'm guessing for the demographic 
the customers that you're looking to attract, they're going to be the sorts of folk and the sorts of households that are perhaps more affected by hikes in utility bills than, yeah. than, than other groups. Yeah, you know, I want to be very clear. What we're not building are kind of high-end, premier rent products. These are, as I say, affordable by definition, middle-income earners. We're not seeking to charge a premium rent. You know, because these homes operate so efficiently, because the leases are so long, because the OPEX is lower, we can afford to charge lower rents to capture a larger share of the local market. But you're absolutely right. A lot of our resident profile will be affected by, you know, the hike in energy prices. So anything yeah, we can yeah. do to ameliorate or reduce or even eliminate those costs will be um, welcomed by those residents. And, and where do you sit on on modular housing? This was something we were talking about with Shemir Zalibai from Man Group last year with one of the bosses at Ilka Homes, who they've been partnering with. And there's clearly a, a big push to build to precision engineer homes in factories because of some of these things that you've been talking about, the thermal efficiency, mm. the reduction in waste, the increase in speed, the better oversight you have over the quality. Is this something that you think you will be looking at with Aviva? A hundred percent. Yeah. So we're, we're already doing it. So um, last week I was in a MMC factory. It's a, it's a panelized solution. So Which one? Um I'm not sure I want to, you know, hand out the name um, on this podcast. It might not be, might not be very fair. Okay, but, but you've committed to using modular. We're housing. committed That's to good. using so we've modular. Got, we've got a newsline there. That's a ticking box for me. That's great. Yeah. So, so we're looking at the volumetric solution and also the panelized solution, and both have their pros and cons. So we, we're absolutely looking to introduce that solution where we are the developer. So there's two flavors to our single family rental strategy one is to ostensibly forward fund home builders and access their existing house types and their existing specification and forward fund them the other model is where we will buy land and pull on our development hats um, and build these homes out ourselves and that's where we will have an opportunity to use modular so we're absolutely going down that route and looking for, you know, homes that are going to achieve that net zero goal. I think it's worth saying that whilst modular does deliver a faster program, it's not necessarily the cheapest solution. So to your point earlier about, you know, how do you justify the additional cost? The answer lies in the liquidity premium or the value mm. that we think these homes will command. Well, of course, I mean, and, and the cost is, is indelibly linked to time, isn't it? So Again, something might cost more on, on day one, but if it costs less to operate and it ticks regulatory boxes in five or six years' time, then the cost is absolutely less. Right. It? We're excited about it. I think it is the direction of travel. And actually, it, it's fair to say that a lot of our house building partners are increasingly introducing more and more modular or panelized or pod systems to their kind of more traditional build house building solutions. So, you know, we welcome that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's great to hear. And I'm sure that'll be an interesting marker for everybody else as well. Uh, I mean, as, as bringing things to a close, Jonathan, what do you think, I mean, in terms of the brand, when are you going to be starting to operate some of these homes? What are they? Uh... So we start mobilising our first schemes in Q4 of this year. So towards the end of the year, and then we will start introducing them. So we'll be operationally geared, as they say, mm. with residents moving in. And What are they going to get on day one? What's the brand going to be here? I mean, for you know, me and my business, people have often referred to me, and it might have even been you that, you that said this, but people have referred to me over the years as, as the Ray Donovan of real estate because of the, <laughs> the problems that I often fix. But but I've been thinking, actually, I'd, I'd like to be... Uh, with I'd, with less violence, I yeah, suspect. Yeah, with, with, with a lot less violence. Yeah, I do. <laughs> 
absolutely do not condone violence on this podcast. But I sometimes think of myself more uh, in, in the Don Draper mode. And I was thinking in terms of uh, your business that maybe Ivory Towers is a is a potentially <laughs> a, a potentially good uh, potentially good moniker. Uh, and you, to you, to you, my you, point about not 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 <laughs> not developing a premier product, that brand might be inconsistent with that objective. We not going to be giving people a tusk on day one. We won't be importing <laughs> any banned ivory and uh, handing that in, in the gift packs. But absolutely. And we also we do not condone the trading of ivory on this podcast either. Good. I'm glad that's clear. No, listen, the short answer is you've got to watch this space. So we haven't made an announcement about that, but we will in due course. There is definitely an opportunity to introduce brand, but I think I want to be very clear that people go to the word brand, I think, as a proxy for, you know, flashy name, logo, colour scheme without much depth. So the way we will be approaching it is to do a kind of a deep dive on who our resident is. You know, what do they do for a living? Where do they work? Where do they go when they work, assuming they even, you know, leave the house now to work? What do they earn? Can they afford the rents that we need to charge, you know, when they return to that house? What motivates them? You know, what's their kind of social profile, if I can put it that way? And, you know, really trying to understand who our resident is and what they want and then how we can manage to those needs and wants. And that to me is brand, not just, you know, logos and the word living in the title. No, no, I I quite agree. And and this is the point that we always make to clients is that brand is what other people describe you as being not what you describe yourself as being exactly so, well look really great to hear about all that it's lovely to see you jonathan and great to see package living really starting to expand succeed and strike new ground with aviva investors as a partner fantastic and, and we'll have to have you back on later in the year to hear a bit of a progress update but thanks for confirming uh thanks for giving us a story about about the commitment to module and obviously uh have to wait uh, and watch this space on the brand and the logo and, and the uh, party bags with ivory tusks in them. Um, <laughs> but thank you. Thank you very much to Jonathan Ivory from Package Living. Do get in touch if you would like to suggest any future guests for PropCast. Please do subscribe. Go to Apple, go to Spotify, go to SoundCloud, go to YouTube, search PropCast and you'll be able to subscribe. And do keep checking propertyweek.com for anything resi related or, or commercial real estate related as well i've been andrew teacher from blackstock consulting thank you very much for listening and we'll see you again soon bye-bye <laughs>